Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? Today, we're going to be getting into how a third ball handler would help elevate this Mavericks team ceiling. And we're going to be tearing off. We're going to have three different tiers today in terms of ball handlers and how like each specific tier would help. Um, like What that tier, essentially, how that would bode for the Mavericks and how that tier level of player um, would increase the ceiling of the Mavericks. But before we do that, there have been some bits of NBA news and Mavericks-related news that have came out over the last day or two. So we want to go ahead and cover that really quickly, just some kind of st- stuff to um, jot through. First all, um, or first off, rather, um, Frank Nigalikina, he got hurt um, playing in the friendly games in Eurobasket um, as a precursor to the free, uh, FIBA World Qualifiers. So... Um, Per reports, we don't really even know what his injury is, but he's not expected to miss any of training camp, and he should be go- good to go by the start of the regular season, but he's going to miss the rest of Eurobasket, which is unfortunate for him. He had a really nice pass to Rudy Gobert the other day that lots of Mavs fans are salivating over on Twitter. So for those of you um, that were really looking forward to seeing Frank play on the national stage, um, I deeply apologize. But, um, you know, I, I hope, you know, I wish him a speedy recovery because – um, right now he's essentially the Mavericks backup point guard. Uh, anyways, next up, Mark Stein reported today that the Mavericks and Lakers are actually probably going to be playing on Christmas day. It was the first sort of leak, um, in terms of the NBA schedule league wide. And it actually came out earlier today that the Mavericks are likely going to be playing the Lakers on Christmas day. You know, some lots of, for the most part, I think the general reaction from MFFLs was, you know, more excited than not. I saw a few fans on Twitter being like, oh, why can't this be the Suns? But, you know, let's just be happy. Um, the NBA didn't knock us for having a, you know, less than ideal offseason and are actually letting us get a Christmas Day game. Um, and, you know, even if the Lakers are throwing out Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson, and Winyan Gabriel or whoever their center is right now, now it's still going to be, a really fun game. And, you know, given that hopefully either LeBron or AD or hopefully both will be available. So, you know, I don't know if it's in Dallas or, you know, in LA, I assume probably in LA, but you know, if it was in Dallas, that'd be really cool home Christmas game. That's a, that's a must see. Um, You know, we'll talk more about, you know, the schedule obviously and what games we're sort of pinpointing when that comes out. But, you know, first general reaction, Jaron, are you excited to see the Mavs versus Lakers on Christmas Day? Of course I am. You know, last year, and I guess the year before that, because I think they've played three years in a row now, uh, the Lakers have got the better of the Mavs, especially in Christmas Day. So I'm hoping this time it's the Mavs' turn. Yes, I, I correct me if I'm wrong. You know, me and Jaron obviously have not been Mavs fans as long as some of you guys listening. But I believe there was like one Christmas Day game. Um back when Kobe was on the Lakers, obviously, you know, it was like 2006, 2007 era where he made like a left-handed three or some, something like that against the Mavs. Or that, I could be totally whiffing on that. That could have been a totally different game. But I know that they did have a few affairs back in the day. So 
Um, I probably completely whiffed on that, but hey, I'm still we're still very excited to see uh, Mavs versus Lakers on Christmas Day. You know, Luca and LeBron, the future in the past, like boom, boom, boom. You know, um, or I guess the future in the present, rather. So really exciting to see. Also, how could we forget? We will also be getting into in this pod, um, more of a subtopic, but we're going to be getting into the Slovenian uh, national game um, in Eurobasket today. They played against Turkey. Uh, Turkey. Yes. How could I forget? Uh, Jaren and I, unfortunately, were not able to uh, watch the game due to our rigorous schedules and just the fact that it was like 1230 midday. But we'll still be getting into what we could surmise from highlights. Um Slovenian won 104 to 103 in OT. Luca only played, I think, about 27 minutes, but he had 23 points, um, 10 rebounds, five assists, and limited minutes on six for nine. Or yeah. um, no, eight for eight for sixteen field goals. Um so shot 50% from the field. Um had a really solid game. Uh he shot five for eight from the free throw line. Um you know, a lot of saw a lot of people on Twitter already saying, oh, he'll never get to 80 percent in his career. And I was like, all right, guys, like it's literally like a friendly game before Eurobasket has like even like essentially started. Like, you know, I, I do hope Luca can, you know, surpass 80 percent at some point um, in his career, you know, even if it's not this year. But, you know, not really a big deal whatsoever, but it was nice to see Slovenia win. Luca didn't really play much in the fourth quarter and. Uh, OT Goran Dragic actually played really good as well. He had a 28 point bomb and hit an absolute an absolute nasty three to uh, in the uh, waning minutes of the fourth quarter. So it was a really fun game. We'll cover it briefly. These aren't even like the actual qualifying games yet. Um, in terms of like they're kind of just you know ramping them up for the actual um, World Cup. So you know we'll get into it briefly some of these games we get a little more in depth too hopefully we can watch a couple of them as they continue um but besides that that kind of um covers it in terms of like nba stuff that's happened the last couple days um so without um you know further ado we do want to acknowledge bill russell getting his jersey retired by the league you know we already um sort of gave our uh, condolences upon bill russell's death but you know we did want to you know voice you know um just what we thought about the situation in terms of getting his jersey retired we both are in um great support that yes um of the decision by adam silver in the nba to retire bill russell's jersey you know as as we tweeted um we think it's very he's very comparable to like jackie robinson in the sense of what he's done for civil rights in basketball you know while he's just you know while he is a pioneer to the game itself you know he's a pioneer to the things off the court now you know, African-American players are even able to uh, play in this game today. So, you know, for that reason, I think it's like most definitely warranted. And, you know, for those of you on Twitter, you know, out there kind of saying, oh, like, you know, I don't think it's warranted, you know, for him to get his jersey retired, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is not going to just be something that like, oh, you know, X or Y or Z legend dies, you know, they're going to get their jersey retired just because of just because of how great they were um, on the court, this is definitely, you know, more to do with that. No, yeah. Uh, like, I do know that there was a handful of people on Twitter, Instagram, whatever it was, uh, that were not in very strong support of this. And really, like, you know, I don't understand it. I just don't think people under – I just don't think people realize what kind of impact he had off the court and kind of how he set up 
today's game, really. I don't think we'd be seeing the amount of stars. I don't think we'd be seeing these players with a voice uh, if it wasn't for him and laying that path. Yeah, it's a really great perspective. I uh, I completely agree. Um, but, you know, um, now that we have uh, kind of hashed that out, here is a ad from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, Jaron, so getting into it, we have the box score from the Slovenia versus Turkey match here pulled up as a, you know, friendly affair here. So just general thoughts. Um, we both were able to watch the highlights. As we said earlier, we were not able to watch the game, unfortunately. Um, do you have any sort of like deep takeaways from this game in terms of Luca's performance, maybe in terms of Dragic's performance, uh, Dragic's performance rather, um, and some and ha- and how some of the Turkish players did, and as somewhere a lot of uh, Mass fans are pointing out in the Twitter timeline, how fired up uh, Furkan Korkmaz and Chetty Osman were getting. And how that is really kind of like unlike what they would do in an NBA game. I think a lot of Mavs fans were finding that funny, especially since they ended up losing in the end. But at the end of the day, this is just a this has no connotation towards the actual World Cup. So, what were your just general takeaways from the games from the little you were able to watch? Yeah, so you know, of course, there's a highlight reel, uh, so I got to see the highlights of every quarter. Um, but the really the end of the game, Luca didn't play. I think the last four minutes, including and overtime. Uh, so we didn't really get to see any Luca crunch time. And that's kind of whenever Slovenia started to fall apart. Cause I want to say they had a 12 point lead headed into the fourth. And that was with Luca playing. And then after that, Luca just didn't play anymore because it was a friendly. Um, but from what we saw from Luca, like really what those Luca esque things, uh, he had that one amazing pass early in the first where he went through the legs and then full court pass and unfortunately got blocked at the rim. But, you know, we we're seeing Luka Magic in uh, Slovenia games as we would in Mad, uh, Mavs games. But also going to Goran Dragic, he, he put on a real show. Uh, he – it kind of seemed like whenever Luka wasn't on the court, he kind of put his, his uh, skills to show. I scored 28 points, five rebounds, three assists. And I want to say eight of those came in the last three minutes or two minutes. Including one just like absolutely nasty step back three. Yeah, exactly. Like he had some really, really nice points. Uh, Really like this whole Slovenia team, I think that there's four former or active NBA players, I believe. Um, And then, you know, you look at this Turkey squad and they have – potentially five uh, former or active, but really like Alperin Sengun, uh, Chetty Osman and Korkmaz, they, they really played good. I was really impressed with Sengun. He played some really good defensive minutes, which I don't think you're going to really see a whole lot in the NBA. Uh, I think he's a solid defender in the NBA, but you know, he just had the, a different in impact. the European competition. While a lot of these guys are just as skilled as in the NBA, yeah, you know, we would both probably agree that the NBA does have a added level of athleticism, just being that it is the best league in the world. No, I mean without a doubt. So when you put Shen Goon, who's a, you know, about average, maybe slightly above average athlete, over in Europe, you know, he's gonna look a lot more beastier. And like he had like one block that I do, I would just like really not see him getting a against most NBA centers where he basically sprinted like 
from the three-point line and just like I think it was Mike Tobity that he absolutely just it could have been another player on Slovenia that he just stuffed at the rim. I was like, geez. But I mean, just looking at these Turkish guys, they were playing as if they were like all-stars, like Chetty Osman and Kirk Corksmoss were absolutely just like shooting the lights out, like carrying, getting to the rim, things that you really don't even see them do in NBA games as much. But that just shows you that the top guys like Corksmoss, Osman, like Goran Dragic, guys like that, well, they may just be role players in the NBA. These dudes are literally like the top three, you know, even top one or two players in their whole country. And that kind of goes to show, you know, the just like elite level of play and athleticism that it takes to be in the NBA, seeing how these dudes, you know, are just absolutely dominating when they uh, go head to head against each other in Eurobasket, which is literally the best players um, in terms of these national squads yeah. matching up against each other. No, like, and really from a basketball perspective, like it was, this was a really fun game. You know, it was pretty much wire to wire the whole entire game. Like I said, it, it ballooned up to 12 points at one point. Uh, and then it went into overtime. Turkey kind of came back, but yeah, no, with what you're saying, how these guys, you know, these, these are the top players in their country. You know, Slovenia, I, I honestly don't know what their population is. I want to say it's like, it's like slightly over a million, I believe. Yeah. Some, yeah. somewhere in that, around that million range. And these are, I think 12, uh, 12 of the best basketball players in Slovenia. And of course they happen to have Luka Doncic, but you know, pairing up against Turkey, which is a much more populated uh, country, but Korkmaz, Chetty Osman, Alperen Sengun, I think the the best out of those potentially can be uh, Sengun, but these guys, you know, without saying anything, like these are the best players in their respective countries. No, most definitely. And just, you know, a few, I guess, follow-up questions for you here. Do you feel like Goran Dragic's I mean, albeit, yes, it wasn't a friendly game against Turkey, but just, you know, it's the sort of pacing he played with, do you feel like that is um, emblematic of only being able to play once every five games? <laughs> That's actually uh, – I mean, I don't know kind of like in comparison what – like I don't know if Turkey has a really good defensive squad or if they're just a good all-around squad. Like I really don't know. Um, looking at the stat book, that does not show. But – I, Goran played really impressive tonight. I think it was a very high scoring affair. And keep in mind, these are 10 minute quarters. Yeah. And these are 10 minute quarters. Yeah. And, including overtime. It still went to triple digits to, for both teams. Um, Goran did look impressive. And again, I don't know where the Mavs logic is to where he's only going to play one out of every five games, but maybe they know something that we don't. So we can only hope. Yeah. We can only hope. Uh, yeah. I would definitely concur with you on that. Um, and also, in terms of Luca's performance, a lot was has been made out of Luca being in better shape this offseason. But, you know, on our Twitter, some fans were kind of saying that, oh, it looks like he, got a, he, he already gained the weight back after just a little hiatus and going and smoking hookah with Shaq and all this stuff. Um, just because of, like, one video of him, like, having where he had, like, three separate shirts on in warm-ups. Yeah which I didn't really, like, take much credence to that. Like, it's literally just a warm-up video. How did you think Luca moved in terms of uh, his fluidity on the court, like how fast he was? Do you feel like it was more in comparison to his 2019-20 self or, you know, maybe, like, the beginning of these last two seasons when I think a lot of Mass fans would agree he maybe hasn't come in the best 
um, shape into training camp. And do you think like, just like weight wise and like body wise, like what type of shape did he look in from what you saw on the court today? Yeah. So like, and honestly, like these highlights, I couldn't really tell Lucas play style, whether, you know, he was driving to the basket. I saw a lot of step back threes and for sure a lot of passes. So couldn't really tell kind of what his play style was tonight. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to assume it was a little lax, a little, yeah, a little passive just because, you know, it's a, it's a friendly, uh, he didn't even play the fourth quarter or even overtime for that matter. But Luka Doncic, like just his physical manner, like he looks way more in shape. He looks a lot stronger. He looks a lot skinnier, uh, like combine that, like he, he just looks leaner. Yeah. And you know, that headed into September, uh, with camp and preseason and then hopefully into the regular season like he he looks really good yeah like a lot of Mavs fans were even pointing out to us that he while he may have looks like you know he lost weight they feel as if he just you know kind of got skinny fat in a sense but you know the way he looked today just like physically like watching him on video um, in the highlights that we were able to watch and things of that nature he looked as if like he had mostly just toned down some fat, but I mean, he still like looked like his, you know, physical self. Like he still, you could still like see like prominent, like even like muscle cuts on him that we really couldn't even see before um, because of how kind of like bulky he was. And, you know, it's not a huge issue whatsoever or like some like big indictment upon him. Like even Luca coming in bad shape is still better than almost every player in the NBA. However, you know, for him to take that next step, he does need to reach that physical peak to, like, you know, become the best player in the league without any doubt. And I think we'd both agree on that. Is Luca at his physical peak? No. Like, he still has room to improve. There's not a doubt about that. He hasn't, like, reached the pinnacle of how he can do. Like, sure, he may never have a 40-inch vertical leap, but, I mean, he can get in even better shape than he is now. But this summer has been a step in the right direction and seeing, you know, him take the weight room and conditioning a lot more seriously is definitely encouraging in my opinion. No, I mean, without a doubt, uh, like this is, I think a new step, you know, I wasn't, I like, I don't really remember this 2019 off season just because I don't know, it, was, it feels long ago, but then again, it was short ago, but like this Luca progression seems a lot better, you know, his trainers coming out publicly speaking on his uh, basically his accountability for himself. And that's a big deal. Uh, I, this shows me, especially the shape that we're seeing Luca come in, like he's willing to take the next step. He's willing to buy in and he's willing, he wants to win and not just win, but also make everybody better around him and win a championship. Yeah. I mean, you look at like game two of the Warriors series, for instance, I think that that was definitely a tell all for him and, you know, his teammates that, Hey, like can my level of conditioning is what will be able to carry me deep into these playoff runs. Cause you see like, once you know, you get past that like 100 game marker, just how much of a toll it takes on these dudes bodies. Like Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney Smith were absolutely drained by the third round of the playoffs and Luca taking his shape and his physical um, just, you know, strengths and things of that nature. Seriously is really going to bode well for him in terms of his ability to be well-conditioned throughout these long seasons. It, if Luke is able to sustain this and, you know, keep producing at this level, we're going to see less of those sort of like dud games where 
you know, Luca's against the worst team and he kind of takes the game off and settles for more step back threes. You know, they're obviously, you know, you even see with like LeBron, you have to sort of um, kind of defer in some games when you're at that high of a usage rate, you're not going to just be able to go 110% every single minute. I mean, I feel like there's maybe two guys in history who have done that. And that's probably like Kobe and MJ. Yeah. But I mean, that's really like not normal for, most humans and their exertion level. And it's like real dependent on your play style. Both of those guys, you know, they took a lot of, you know, jump shots and mid range twos, you know, Luca and LeBron are both like primary facilitators. They had the ball in their hand constantly. They're definitely like moving a lot more than uh, both those guys. It would seem just in terms of their play style. So, you know, with that in mind, they both have to be able, you know, and we've seen LeBron do this where he is, Throughout the throughout his career, he's been able to not I wouldn't say like pick and choose what games he's gonna try in, but you know understand like what moments it would be more beneficial for his body to rest. But LeBron's still in great physical shape, and he can still, and he still like turns up on a nightly basis. And I don't really necessarily agree with the mantra that he like takes games off. It's more so like you know sometimes he plays a different style um, in certain games that you know if. There's a game that, you know, his passing might be more beneficial. He'll probably defer to passing a little more because he knows that he has to, you know, condition himself throughout the regular season. So, like, come playoff time, you know, if he has to start carrying the load, he can do that. And for Luca, that's, you know, that's not easy to learn, especially at his age. But as he continues to grow and develop, um, both physically and mentally from that aspect, he's going to be able to realize – you know, what time, what play style is going to suit, you know, this game better. And, you know, like not just, you know, settle for step back threes just because you're tired one night, but like if he can get to the rim, like get to the rim, but, you know, just making what your play style is more dependent on the opponent and matchup based versus, oh, I went out and party too hard last night. So I'm just going to only shoot today. No, I, yeah, I completely agree with what you just said. I, I wouldn't say it's picking and choosing either. I, I just think it's more of a knowing your moment and, like, there's there's preparation that goes into this or goes into those moments that takes place in August, like today, August, September. There's, there's moments, you know, months from now that take place now. Uh, it's with preparation, and I think that we're seeing the – the proper, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, the proper workload of Luca, And hopefully this translates into the season with hopefully his best season that he's ever produced. No, I'd agree. But, you know, from what little I was able to analyze from highlights, I will say I thought he did look like just a little more springier and quicker. Like he had more of a pep in her step, like in his step rather. And um, like there was like one – play where he like came off a ball screen sort of hesitated then you know moved back to his little signature floater but floater but he kind of like leaned back into it but I just thought his pacing on that um, was normal of like what you'd see in a regular Luka Doncic play but he just seemed to get into the action quicker and like he just moved a lot faster so that was encouraging to see today but don't want to put too much credence into this game we're glad Slovenia won even though this doesn't really affect the World Cup for all intensive purposes. 
Um, like I said, we are going to be covering the rest of their run. We're excited to see how they do and how Luca and the gang um, go about this um, this World Cup and these World Cup qualifiers. But, you know, just being it was a friendly game, we just wanted to talk about it, sort of give our opinions on it. But with that being said, we're going to get into our tiers in terms of the ball handlers that would elevate the Maverick ceilings. Um, we have three tiers here. We just did one list. Um, we thought about combining lists, but didn't want to take too much of your guys' time up. So each tier here is um, uh, the first tier are guys that we deem would like dramatically raise the ceiling of this Mavericks team. You know, maybe if not take them to a championship level, but you know, sort of like ten to what Jalen Brunson left with this team, and you know, maybe even surpass that. So the guys in the second tier, rather are more guys that, well, they may not necessarily elevate the Mavericks past where Jalen Brunson uh, left the matter equal to it. They're still going to fill somewhat of the void of where he left, and they would still be a solid replacement um, for what the Jalen Brunson gap, and they would still, you know, address the secondary ball handler void that the Mavericks have to a certain extent. And, you know, that in tandem with the Mavericks adding Christian Wood would definitely like shape this offseason to a lot more of a positive spin. I think if we added a lot of the guys from the second tier, uh, the tier three guys are really just to sure up the roster. Um, they, they would definitely help, but not dramatically or anything like that. And they would just be more assurance. So the Mavericks have another ball in or going into the offseason. So Frank Nitlakina, Jaden Hardy, and Josh Green aren't having to play point guard at the top of the key every possession they would just be more so for that reason they would definitely still help this Mavericks team but they it wouldn't be like an end like they wouldn't elevate this Mavericks team really like past maybe a win or two in the regular season um, in terms of the standings so in our first year we have and some of these are a little more I would say like potential based and a lot of them aren't yeah like necessarily the most likely and even some of these guys aren't what you would define as a sec like a primary ball handler or shot creator but just the the mold of that player even if that's a, a guy it's just a point guard or shooting guard who can do a little bit of that but may like have other abilities those guys will also be on this list so all these guys we deemed would be acquirable in some sort of fashion after the kevin durant or Donovan Mitchell fallout happens, or they're just straight up free agents. And a lot of these guys are not even necessarily the most likely, but there is some sort of weird world where it could happen. So we'll talk about them. So I put in tier one, Kyrie Irving. Now Kyrie Irving has a lot of faults to, to his name and the fact that he obviously has some like really weird, you know, mental things going on in terms of, how many games he wants to play is COVID vaccination status last season, even though the NBA did release that um, vaccines will not be mandated for players to play, except for in Toronto. I think that's, you'll still have to be vaccinated to play there, but just things of that nature. Kyrie's always been kind of inherently weird, especially the last couple seasons, but when he's on the court and he's producing, I mean, I don't, I think he tops out as the best player on this list. No, I mean, without a doubt, I think Kyrie, it's more of a how how do the negatives outweigh the positives if you're looking to not get him? I think that without a doubt, if this Mavericks team somehow acquires Kyrie Irving, I, I think it's highly unlikely. 
And honestly, I don't know if he's my favorite guy in this list. But without a doubt, if we got Kyrie Irving in some way or some fashion, I think that this team automatically improves to championship status. And just terms of how the roster looks. Unless uh, they, like, dramatically shook up the roster to get Kyrie. To get Kyrie, yeah. yeah. And that's and I just don't see that happening. Uh, I think the Mavericks know their boundaries, uh, especially with a guy like Kyrie. Now, I, I, Kyrie is a great player, not knocking him on that. It's like Will mentioned, it's the the off-court issues and those playing effect. And especially with such a strong bond that this locker room has built, I just don't see that being too much of a positive. No, I agree. But we are assessing these, obviously, purely from a basketball fit, or else Kyrie would probably be in, like, tier three. Um, so, you know, theoretically, if these guys just – just their basketball selves came and played 82 games, things of that nature. And, you know, we can, we can like project a little in terms of how they might play and how, what their potential is, but we're not going to like, it has nothing to do with any of their off court things. So next up in tier one, you know, this was kind of hard. I don't think there's any, I think Kyrie should be in a tier of himself in terms of like the caliber player he is compared to the other guys. But, you know, if we're going to have to put some other guys in tier two, I have two other guys here. I have Colin Sexton and Marcus Smart. Uh, Sexton's more of a guy, in my opinion, than I would think. You know, needs a little, his needs hit a little bit of a developmental uh, curve. I think he can be as good, if not better, than Jalen Brunson. He's younger. We've already talked about this, and it's highly unlikely the Mavericks trade for him. But his offensive sk- um, skill set and you know his shooting ability and just his general intensity that he plays with, he's very underlooked, and he's like a guy that I could see having the potential to elevate this Mavericks team if everything was to hit for him. But that's not to say that he would automatically step into this role and play like a tier one guy. He just may have to, we just have to see next guy being Marcus smart. Marcus smart is obviously not a prototypical primary ball handler or shot creator of anything of that nature. He can do that a little bit, but you know that you're adding this guy for just the insane defensive intensity. And, you know, he is a solid playmaker, um, especially just, like in the pick and roll, he's a lot better than I think a lot of people think. He's a really good ball mover as well. Um, and if he's able to rekindle with some of his shooting ability from a couple of years ago, he's shooting about 37% from three, contrary to, you know, a couple of rough shooting seasons. I mean, this is a sort of like playmaking three and D guard that really any team would salivate over. I mean, he is a really good player that started for a team that was on the finals last year. I mean, I don't really think I have to say more in terms of, um, how he would be able to elevate this Mavericks team, even if he's not necessarily an all-star. I mean, he's in the prime of his career. And I'd say he's, in terms of, like, elite contributing role players in the NBA, he's in, you know, the top, top echelon. No, I mean, everything you said, you you said it right. Uh, Marcus Smart's by far the best defender on this list. I mean, he was the defensive player of the year last year. Um, for Colin Sexton, I think Colin Sexton's, like, the guy that the Mavericks like it would be the ideal matchup next to Luca. I think he has the potential to be that second guy, uh, given some time, you know, coming off an injury and coming off kind of a, a bad situation there in Cleveland for him. I think Cleveland's in a good situation, but for him, it's not good. Uh, you know, it definitely takes some time just to get used to it and, or get used to the, the Mavs and also just get used to, playing basketball again, really, because it's been – I, I want to – I don't think it was quite a full season, but I want to say he was out for almost uh, the full duration of last year. Um, 
But yeah, Colin Sexton, I think, is that ideal guy. I just think he's honestly the least obtainable out of all these guys on this list. Um, Even Mark, more so than Kyrie, probably. No, like, I actually do think that he – I think Kyrie is more available than Sexton at that point. Um, but for Marcus Smart, I think, you know, like you said, like any team would salvage over a guy like Marcus Smart. He gives so much in. <laughs> salivate, uh, not salvage. Uh, salivate. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think Marcus Smart's a guy that any team would really need uh, they're trying to be that championship level team, uh, especially the Mavs. You know, they're missing that kind of point guard role. I think he would definitely start. And not to say that Marcus Smart is a point guard. Uh, that's kind of. Well, some, I think he meant more so in like the fact of a guy who can defend other guards. Yeah. In, yeah. He just, he defends other guards. Uh, and that's someone that the Mavs don't have. Uh, like without a doubt, I think that these three guys improve this team dramatically. Uh I just think that Sexton is probably the highest of all these three. I just don't – I think that he is the least obtainable. So, when you said Sexton is the highest out of all these three, what do you mean by that? I, I just think Sexton has the highest potential. I think Kyrie, you know, that automatically pushes you to championship level. But Are you taking into consideration, like, Kyrie's not going to be there for all the games exactly. and, like, the drama? Okay. Yeah, like, I'm putting Kyrie being Kyrie into consideration. Uh, I think Colin Sexton, if he if he hits, this could be something the Mavs really never had in Jalen Brunson. Uh, that's not knocking Jalen Brunson at all. I just think that Sexton has the potential to be a better player given a better situation. No, I definitely agree. I mean, despite them being the same size, we've already talked about this on previous podcasts, Sexton brings an, another level of like defensive intensity at his size. I don't know how sustainable that is throughout his whole career, you know, especially as he gets older, but you know, while he's still young. Um, he's a slightly above average defender in a body where he should really not be capable of doing that. Um, so we'll kind of breeze through these tier two guys real quick. All these guys, would you be in agreement? Um, and if you want to elaborate further onto any spe- of these specific players, um, feel free. All these guys, would you be in agreement that they would probably help the Mavs and they would be really good role players for the Mavs, but they may not move the needle in terms of like elevating into contention. Um, But Derek White, Kobe White, Jordan Clarkson, Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Mike Conley, and Seth Curry. So I think, I think that you, uh, this is a hard list because. Some of these guys really elevate the team. They all have different play styles. Exactly. Too, so yeah. Like they're like Derek White, Pat Bev. These are, you know, more defensive guards. Um, Malik but, Beasley definitely being yeah, offensive. But, yeah. Like, As is Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. And but then, you know, Derek White, like Mike Conley, you know, they're going to give you more playmaking versus like Seth Curry, um, Jordan Clarkson, Beasley are all going to be better shooters. And, like, you know, it's like Kobe White and, like, Conley are kind of like an equal medium in terms of they're giving you a little bit of everything. So they're they're all different players, but I think, you know, the, in, while they are all different, they all would kind of, you know, fit the mold of, like, being able to, yes, help the Mavericks. And we, we'd be, you know, ecstatic to get any of these dudes in a trade, obviously, especially if we weren't giving up too much. But I don't know if any of these guys move the needle in terms of putting in the Mavericks into that next um, 
like raising their ceiling to the ability where they're like contending. No, I mean, like, I, I really don't think that there's a name on that, on that side of the list that you can put on this Mavs roster and say, without a doubt, they're going to contend for a title. I think that there's two guys on here that are definitely more obtainable than any other guy that we listed. I think Kobe White and arguably Derek White, I think that they're probably the most obtainable. And I, I, I see, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw one of these guys that we listed on the Mavericks roster by the start of the season. Now, is that to say that that roster is completely done and are they going to contend? Is that our secondary guy that we need? Definitely not. Uh, these are guys that you put in a spot and they're going to give you what they give you. And that's not to say that they don't give you a whole lot. Cause I think that these guys will definitely produce. Uh, it, it's just, you know, like you said, like these guys all have different play styles. So it kind of depends on which, which way you want to go. Uh, but yeah, like I, I think that there's some guys that produce more than others, especially for what this roster is built like right now, but not to say that you couldn't give or take some of these guys. No. Yeah, I agree. Like, I feel like all of these guys, like none of them are the end all be all to the final Mavericks roster before they win a championship, whenever that is, or if they even do that in the Luka era, like, I don't think this is like the final piece or anything like that, but they would definitely help with that. And them in tandem with maybe some other moves in the future, if that's a year or two down the line or whatever, could definitely help in that. And even the guys in tier one, um, you know, while you do know what you're getting out of Kyrie and Marcus smart, you know, Sexton, he, we're prefacing this with him having to hit, like, if you're getting the call in Sexton that like we've got these last couple of years, like I definitely probably put him in tier two, but you know, under the assumption that he might take a step is where we put him in tier one. And, you know, we we're just kind of lacking people to put in tier one. So we kind of threw thought like, Hey, what the hell we'll put him in there. And, you know, kind of, you know, more talk, talk about it in terms of his potential versus, you know, how he's been throughout his career, which that's not to say he's been bad throughout his career, but you know, I wouldn't say he's like a tier one guy. Just if you, if you were to say he's going to stay the same for the rest of his career, you know, I'd put a, probably put him in here with these two or two guys. So, yeah, everybody in tier three, we're just going to go ahead and knock them out real quick. It's pretty self-explanatory. We'll preface, like, the first guy in here th in tier three that we put was Russell Westbrook. And like we said, a lot of these guys may not even be likely to get moved to the Mavs or possibly even at all. But we put Westbrook in tier three because, you know, Obviously not because of the caliber player that he is when he's completely dialed in, but just I, I feel his inability to sort of accept a role on this Mavericks team and really anywhere throughout the last couple of years of his career um, would kind of hinder the way he plays and the way he does things. We've seen this in terms of his time with the Lakers, the Rockets, and the Wizards. So I, I think he'd probably do more harm than good almost. Are you in agreement there? That's uh, why you should be in tier three. Yeah, I'm gonna, I mean, I agree with that. I I think Westbrook's kind of intriguing just in terms of future. Uh, I know that a Westbrook Westbrook trade on the Mavericks has been kind of trending uh, over these last few days for especially the Mavericks. Um, but you know that's not to say like if Westbrook could accept a role like that would be amazing, but that's not going to happen. Let's be real. Uh, that's why he's in uh, tier three is just, you know, really, I wouldn't even be surprised if he, if he's on the roster, let's say, you know, there is a trade made. I wouldn't be surprised if he's on the roster, if isn't on the roster, uh, seeing that maybe there's a buyout or something. Yeah, no, most definitely. I mean, the Westbrook trades that have been thrown out there, 
I think a lot of Mass fans fail to understand. This is because, you know, that 2027 and 2029 Lakers pick that they're possibly offering up to, in, to move Russell Westbrook are going to be really valuable if the Lakers are not good in a couple of years, you know, given LeBron might be moved on at that point. And, you know, even if the Mavericks don't want to keep those, they're going to be really valuable trade assets. That along with um, maybe like a young player or two that the Lakers would give up with Westbrook, you know, IEA, um, Austin Reeves, Taylor Horton Tucker, maybe not even like not that they have like ins- any insane young assets, but just maybe a guy with a little bit of upside. Um, that's why that package is intriguing. And the fact that Westbrook's on a huge expiring. So whoever you're shipping out in that salary who has multiple years on their contract, you're getting off a ton of money for next offseason because you get off those guys and then Westbrook's off your books next offseason. Um, so yeah, like he may not even be on the team if he was to get traded. I wouldn't be surprised if whoever he does get traded to if he's traded before the season, which I would probably lean more yes that he would get traded than no. Yeah, I would agree. That he like I would not put it past that he gets bought out. Like I think that's highly likely. I think that you know, steam is kind of calmed down the Westbrook front because we're kind of just waiting to see what happens with Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell. But honestly, like I think he's like honestly like one of the most highly likely guys to get moved. I just don't see the a world where the Lakers look at last season and think, oh, this is really gonna work. You know, I know he had his like players meeting with uh, LeBron and AD or whatever, but I, I don't know. It just a lot of Lakers guys are kind of saying the same thing, especially like Lakers centric media on Twitter are like, yeah, like uh, we'd be like really surprised if Westbrook didn't get moved before the season. So that's just kind of my thoughts on it. We have two guys in tier three that are possibly debatable for tier two, but everybody after that, I feel like is pretty self-explanatory as to why they should be in tier three. Um, Eric Bledsoe and Dennis Schroeder. The only reason that that these guys are not in tier two is because they both not played as the best versions of themselves in terms of what we've seen from them in their careers the past year or two, especially Schroeder after he has his, his big contract debacle and not taking the money and like settling, you know, he just is not, and he's kind of been on the, he was on a bad rocket team last year. I think he still has, you know, he's only 28, but he definitely has a little more to prove before, you know, I'd put him back in tier two where, you know, he probably rightfully should be. Bloodsoe's just getting a little bit older. I don't know if his defense is as good as it once was, but, you know, and he's, he's been on and off shooting in his career. Um, You know, sometimes he's been a really good regular season shooter, but, I struggle with in the playoffs, particularly with the Bucks. Um, so just the inconsistency through the, um, with those two guys the last year or two puts them in tier three. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, a good season could put them in that tier two, um, like whatsoever. But any of the rest of these guys, I think, would you be in agreement that they all are probably, you know, not above uh, tier three? Uh, yeah, yeah like so every, every we'll, one of these guys, I, yeah, without a doubt. And not... we'll go ahead and run through them real quick. Uh, we have Faku Kampazu, um, Frank Jackson, Ryan Archidiakono, <clears throat> famed former Mav, Rajon Rondo, Alfred Payton, Carson Edwards, DJ Augustine, Isaiah Thomas, uh, Chris Chioza, Sharif Cooper. A couple guys didn't even name there that honestly aren't even probably like worth noting. Um, this is a guy that in, was probably in that tier two maybe a year or two ago as well, but he's kind of fell off a cliff in terms of his shooting. It's just been so horrendous that, you know, despite his good defense, he's not even like really worth mentoring, mentioning. 
uh, to be in tier two is uh, T- Tomas Sadaransky. And Lou Will, he like seems like he's on the fringe of retirement and may not even come back. And he's really declined, you know, in age, understandably. But I'd also, you know, he's also in this tier three. And then lastly, um, Lance Stevenson, just the sort of inconsistency. But, you know, if we got peak Lance Stevenson every night, then shit, heck, he'd probably be tier one. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I just, there's nobody on that list that I think right now in their career is willing to put above tier three. I don't think that anybody on that tier three list, maybe Westbrook, if he plays, gives you more than maybe a win or two. No, I, I would definitely agree. Unless Westbrook, just starts accepting a role, which, you know, we don't think he can, but hey, you never know. Highly unlikely. Yes, but with that, we'll probably be back um, Sunday night. Yes, yeah, Sunday or night. Going into Monday, so good old Monday morning pod for you guys that are commuting to work and are having a just splendid Monday morning. But hey, with that being said, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy this Saturday. Um, if you haven't yet and you've made it this far in the pod, make sure to follow us on social media at mainstream underscore Mavs on Twitter and to subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. And if possible, like us or rate us five stars and give us a review. If you'd like to, it'd mean the world to us. And thank you for listening this far. Mainstream Mavs signing out. Peace.